This past week, uh, it was on Tuesday evening, uh, I was kind of wrapping up my day, getting ready, just kind of settling in for the evening, uh, about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, I got an email that came through on my phone that, ba- that said, uh, a uh, press conference, important press conference, tomorrow, 9 a.m. at the diocese, uh, make every effort to attend. Now, uh, we have been waiting for an email like this for a year, because a year ago, Bishop Fob, we got a very similar thing uh, at like 5 a.m. that said Bishop Fob moved to Louisville, right? So we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for an email that basically says, hey, everybody in the diocese, drop what you're doing and show up at the chancery, at the pastoral center, because there's some important information, and we all knew pretty much right away, uh, we're getting a bishop. <laughs> and thank the Lord we're getting a bishop, right? Um, so I... I, 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 I I know that the announcement, right, the typical way this happens is at noon in Rome, right, they make an announcement, they, they release what they call the bulletino, it becomes public information uh, to the entire church of bishop appointments and things like that. So my first thought was, I know noon in Rome is 5 a.m. our time, so I set my alarm for 4.45 and I was there waiting, clicking refresh, like who is it going to be? Can't wait, can't wait. Well, wake up, and sure enough, um, the Holy Father named Bishop Mario Dorsonville, our bishop. Now, uh, it was a name I had never seen before, so like everybody else, I went on YouTube, I went on, <laughs> I went on Google, and just started typing in, looking for his resume, looking for where he's been, looking for his life story, looking for any messages or any kind of videos that he has put out before. Um, well, it was really, it was great. A uh, couple of things about him. Uh, he is originally from Columbia, but for the last 30 years, he's been a priest of Washington, D.C., and was ordained an auxiliary bishop there, where he was doing a lot of different work with especially Catholic charities, Hispanic ministries, just a lot of good stuff, right? Um, I started reaching out to priests that I know, asking them, hey, have you ever heard of this guy? What do you say? Um, and everybody that came back said that he was genuine. Everybody that came back said uh, that he's, uh, you're going to know when he walks into a room uh, and that he likes to joke around. Well, whenever I, uh, we go to the press conference, and, and I can honestly say, like, that, that was some stuff that was really, that, that really stuck out to me. Um, I, I was able, on my way out the door, because we had free lunch here, and I wanted to try and get back to make sure that we could, like, bless the food and everything. But on my way out, um, I shook his hand, and I said, I'm sorry, I have to take off, but my name is Father J.D. Mathern. I'm, I'm, at the, I'm at the college. And when I said that, he lit up. He was excited, right? So got a feeling he's going to maybe make a pass over here from time to time, especially because he likes our late mass times, right? Like, it's pretty nice. But as we were talking, we were going back and forth, and he asked me a few things, and we had a good little conversation, and he said, well, it, it looks like, it's, like St. Thomas is in good hands, and that proves that he's not the best judge of character. But anyway, <laughs> at one point, I, I looked at him, though, and I said, I, I told him, I said, well, you know why they put me at St. Thomas? I, he said, why is that? I said, it's because they put the young, good-looking priest at St. Thomas. They, and his response was, where is he? I went, we're going to be very, very good friends. <laughs> Thank you. Great to see you. And I took off. Now, but, but as we were sitting in the press conference, um, there was a moment, there was, there was something that he said that struck me. Um, he, he, he said, like, all the right things. Thank you, Holy Father. Thank you, Father PJ. Thank you, diocesan staff, blah, 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 blah. Everybody, like, it was funny afterwards, like, all the priests are sitting there comparing notes. Like, did you hear him say this? This is great. Oh, look, he seems really, I'm like, he gave a press conference. They, like, had a prepared statement. Calm down, right? 
But one thing he did say that I thought was very, 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 it was very, very telling. He quoted today's gospel. And he, and he said, you were the, he said, I want to talk to my priest. I want to talk to my consecrated religious. I want to talk to you for a second. And he said, you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And he said, and while we are at the, we, while we are like part of the church, while we are the ones who are kind of ministers of the church, he said, our church is not a church for the clergy. He said, our church is a church for every person entrusted to our care. And when I hear that, my, my, I, like I jumped. <laughs> like in, inside, I was like, awesome. <laughs> like, thank you. Our church is not a church for the clergy. Our church is a church for every person entrusted to our care. Now, I'm not trying to read into it too much. I'm not, like, this is a popular phrase. This is a popular understanding of today's gospel. But I think it's important for us to, to as be, be, just being that it's pr- very providential that these two things kind of happen in line, that today we really look at what it means to be a church that's for every person entrusted to our care. Particularly focusing on, you are the light of the you are the light of the world, and the salt of the earth. When we when we look at today's gospel, when Jesus uses these two images, he's talking to a particular people at a particular time in a particular place. Right? He's giving his sermon on the mount. Last week we heard right about the beatitudes, the first basic passage or the first paragraph, if you will, of the sermon on the mount. And where Jesus looks at us and basically says, hey, you know those Ten Commandments? They're great. They're a good starting point. But they're not the fulfillment of a Christian's call. He's basically saying it's not enough not to sin. It's not enough just to keep the commandments. It's not enough just not to sin. It's not enough to keep holy the Sabbath day and to honor your father and mother and not commit adultery and blah, 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 blah. It's not enough just to do those things. That's not the life of a Christian. Not doing is not the life of a Christian. He said, here it is. You want to live a blessed life? You want to live a happy life? You want to live a holy life? Reflect on the Beatitudes. Like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we broke open last week. Now today, it's his second paragraph, if you will. Because if he's going to give us the what of how we call to live as a Christian, how we call to live as a follower of Jesus, right? Then the next thing that he does is, he says, okay, and this is how you do it. And he uses these two interesting images of salt and light. Now, when I hear the word salt, the first thing that comes to my mind, and this is probably because I'm a Cajun, is because I think of food, right? I think of uh, salt is used to season, right? Uh, in the last few years, I've, uh, I've started cooking more. I've, like, I've realized that like, I like to cook. Um, it might be just like a microwave or an air fryer, but I, I just enjoy cooking, right? Like, and there's been like, especially when I was starting out, I remember like I would cook chicken or something on the stove and I would be sitting there and, well, let me throw a little bit of this in and let me throw a little bit of this in and let me throw a little bit of this in and let me throw a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit until what happened was is the chicken was just crusted in all the seasoning and I only tasted seasoning. I didn't taste any more chicken and it was really gross, <laughs> right? If, you, if you've ever had the, the, the horrendous thing of you're cooking a big pot of something and you take the salt shaker and you go to shake it and the top falls off, yeah, everybody's like, oh, like groaning, right? Like Because we know what that's like because immediately it's done, it's over, throw it away. There's no saving it, 
There's no, there's, there's no work, like, it, it's over. Because what does salt do immediately? It does two things. Number one, it gives, all, it gives flavor, right? If, it, if you don't use salt, then what happens is you don't have flavor. You, you, it, it actually can bring out some good, some good in the thing. But if you use too much, it ruins it very quickly because it gets into every single bite. It's pervasive, right? It's invasive, if you will. Like, it gets into every little single bite. And almost immediately. The gumbo, it doesn't matter how much you dilute it. It's going to taste like salt water, right? In the same way, like when Jesus is saying, you as, a, you as my follower, you as my disciple, are supposed to be the salt of the earth, we're supposed to season the world. In every single bite. In every single place. You're supposed to be in every corner of society. Invasive, if you will, with the gospel. That there wouldn't be a place or a bite that doesn't know the name of Jesus. The early church understood this. They, they, they went out to all corners of the world. Didn't matter if it was, didn't matter if they were they were facing death or rejection. They went out to all corners of the world. Jesus, right, sends them out two by two. And what does he say? You're gonna get rejected. And it ain't gonna be easy all the time. But I was serious about this call to go be the salt of the earth. To go be everywhere. The, the other thing that salt does is a preservative. And the people in the, in this, around, the, like in the Galilee district of, of, like of the, the place where we're speaking, right? Around, around uh, the Sea of Galilee where there was a lot of fishing, understood that you use salt to preserve the fish. Right? They, they use salt. That's how they would preserve these things so that it wouldn't, just, it wouldn't all just spoil, right? And they can go to market with it and sell it. Well, if salt is into every bite and it seasons the world, the other thing that it does is it preserves. And, and we're called, as Christians, right? We're called to preserve those things, that, those gospel values, those things that Jesus stood for as being the true, the good, and the beautiful. Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus did a lot of good. The beauty of our Catholic faith, right, both in music and in, and in art and in architecture and, and in all these different ways that we have preserved the riches of the world. The true, the good, and the beautiful. Well, Jesus pointed out today, what, what happens when salt loses its taste? What happens when salt is no longer effective? Well, it gives us a really bland existence. It gives us a really bland culture. When we're not salting, right? When we're not seasoning every bite of society. I'll use an example. What's the last good movie you saw come out? Not named Top Gun Maverick. It's all formulaic. It's all boring. It's all agenda-driven. TV shows, same thing. Like, like, when we don't salt the culture... Right? When we don't season the culture with Catholic values, with Christian values, what ends up happening is that we have a really, really boring existence. And we've got to find something to get excited about. So we yell at each other online. We're called to be the salt of the earth. And Jesus said, he's not mincing words. Like he's saying, like, I, you're going to get rejected. And if salt loses its flavor, you become useless. The other image that he uses is light. 
Now, we can understand, let's, let, let's, the little geography of, of where Jesus is preaching, right? He's in Galilee, and there, everything, a lot of things in Galilee kind of circulate around the Sea of Galilee, right? We hear this a lot, that there's the Sea of Galilee, and there's all these little towns around, Capernaum, a few different places, right? Well, one of the cities that was on the Sea of Galilee was called Tiberias. Now, I remember I was in, uh, about six, seven years ago, I was able to go with my class from the seminary. We went to the Holy Land. And it was an awesome trip, really beautiful, walking to a place where Jesus walked, like all that stuff. But I remember the, one of the places that we stayed was on the Sea of Galilee. And it was a beautiful, like, there was like this little perch where we can go sit out and pray. And I remember one morning I said, well, you know what? I want to go pray overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Like, I want to go see the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee. Little romantic idea, right? Like I was like, oh, this is gonna be great, and do my holy hour and all this stuff. And as I'm doing my holy hour, the sun came up. It's really, really awesome. But one of the things I noticed when I went out, because it was still dark, was the city of Tiberias still exists. It's modernized now, but it still exists. And one of the things, there are two things about this that that just struck me: that this city up on a hill is probably what people would have heard when they heard this this gospel when they heard Jesus giving this teaching. They probably would have thought of the city of Tiberias up on a hill next to the water. There were two things that came to my mind. The first was, like Jesus says, you can't ignore it. Like, you, you, you cannot ignore it. Now, they got electric lights and all that stuff now, but like back then, you, it would still be a city and there would still be activity going on even at night, especially a fishing town, especially people coming in, like fishermen coming in early in the morning. You can't ignore what's going on there. Like up as you're on the water especially, like this is just a bright space. That's the first thing that kind of came to my mind was that, okay, you can't ignore it. The second thing that came to my mind with it was if you're on a boat, if you're a fisherman and you're trying to look for your particular spot in a dark space with no extra light, right? You, you need something to help you navigate. You, think you need something that's going to help to kind of guide you and navigate you, right? That you could be like, I know there's a fishing spot whenever the city's kind of back five o'clock behind you, right? Like, I know that I could fish right here and this has been a good spot to fish in the past. Like, the... The fishermen would have used landmarks and images and things around them to help guide them. So a a city on a hill, a light, not only is it something that cannot be ignored, but it's also something that's a guide. It's also something that can kind of give us our bearings, right, if we're off base or not. We're supposed to be the light to the world. We as Christians, we as the Catholic faith, like we, we as the church are meant to be the light to the world. Well, number one, it can't be ignored. Why is it that a little, a little wrinkly, boring nun in a corner of the world that everybody forgot, Calcutta, would have been photographed as much as she was shared as much as she was, invited to speak to the United Nations, invited to be in the presence of some of the most powerful people in the world because she was dealing with the sick, the lonely, the broken, and the rejects of the world. Like, how is it that Mother Teresa becomes a light in the world? Literally, right? Because she understood this and lived it. 
She understood this teaching. She understood this, this, this way of being and, and lived it even in the darkness of the destitution of Calcutta. And at the same time, when, when, when we live our life, like it helps to kind of guide our culture. But if we don't, and there's no light, then there's no, the culture kind of loses its bearings. And then you spin off into some of the ridiculousness that we hear and see in our world today. This teaching isn't over by any means. This teaching isn't meant to be something that just applies to the people that were sitting on that hill so many years ago listening to Jesus speak. Like when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, right? That, that's meant to be, even today, we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, right? We are meant to permeate every part of society and, and season every part of society with the gospel. We're meant to be a, a, a light in darkness, a, a light of hope in a lot of ways, a light that kind of helps the world catch its bearings. I think of how many times that a family member, like I've heard people like that have somebody that's, that's suffering in their family or they got to cancer diagnosis or that's about to pass away or something. And what do they do? They call the aunt who has like all the devotions, right? Hey, can you pray for this person? Can you, you, do you have something like in your little like Jesus kit, right? Like, and they start saying, yeah, here's three miraculous medals. Take the, you know, like all this kind of stuff. Like they go through all this stuff, like, because there's in, in, in desperation, in darkness, it, what, what do we seek for? We seek for any light we can find. God, God wants you to be that light too. Not just your aunt that, that, that has all the devotions, right? I don't, I'm not trying to like, undercut any of those, like, they're beautiful women that do that, like, like they're beautiful people that do those kind of things, but I'm just sharing, like, God wants every one of us to be that kind of light, like, to be completely focused on the Lord, completely reflective of the light that Jesus has, has, has shown to me, so that it can go to the rest of the world, and I think the, the, the powerful part of what our new bishop, our new shepherd said, was we're not a church of the clergy, because there are places that I can't go. There are people that I don't talk to, I don't see, that need to hear the gospel, that need their life seasoned by the good, the true, and the beautiful, right? That need to see the light, especially because they're in despair, right? That only you see. If you don't preach to them, who will? If you don't share your faith with them, who will? This is who we're called to be as Christians. We're called to take Jesus' right, his, his first and most powerful sermon that has ever been preached, right? And we're called to put it into action even today. A priest friend of mine said one time, he said, there's not another church that's just coming around. Right? The Acts of the Apostles, the, one of the reasons why I love the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the last chapter, it just ends. There's no like big closure, there's no big like soliloquy at the end, there's no big like, like fruity language or anything like that. It's just, it just ends. And one of the reasons why I love the fact that it just ends is because we're supposed to pick up the mantle and keep writing it. Now, 2,000 years after the early church. Because there's not another church that's just showing up. If we aren't the light of the world, if we aren't the salt of the earth, then what's going to happen is the world's going to get really bland and really dark. If you have any questions about that, just watch the news. We can't make systemic change. 
But we can, spy, we, can, we can season the places that we are. We can reveal the light in the corners of the world that we live. May today as we come to this Mass, that, that, that light and that salt stay renewed in us. <laughs> that as we go forth, that we, we don't just leave our faith here. Because, on, because quite honestly, 10.30 in the morning on Sunday at St. Thomas Aquinas, it's real easy. <laughs> it's real easy to be spiced. right? It's real easy to be light. But when we get out of the, these walls... That's why it's hard. We're called to be strengthened when we come to Mass. More settled. More illuminated, if you will. So that when we go, we bring Jesus with us. May today, we take seriously this teaching of our Lord. We take seriously this call to go. We go out and live, as Jesus said, a light to the world and to be the salt of the earth.